you were created for more. You may not always see it, but there is a lot of sweet in every mess and in all of the mundane. Exodus 3.8 is a promise to deliver us from the brokenness of life to one filled with hope. We want to remind you of God's faithfulness that will lead you into a land flowing with milk and honey. Join us, Lindsay and Amaris, as we share practical wisdom for all things marriage, motherhood, faith, and womanhood. So grab a cup of coffee, get cozy, and join us. This is the Milk and Honey Podcast. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Milk and Honey Podcast. This is Lindsay, and I am so stinking excited to introduce you all to my longtime friend and true woman of wisdom, Meg Wallace. She is a wife of nearly 17 years to an all-around kind man and pastor, my former pastor actually, named Matt. Meg recently went from a mama of five to six Yes, six precious blonde-haired little angels, and she's a blogger for MegMarieWallace.com. It's very likely that you've seen one of her most recent blog posts about marriage floating around the internet because it went completely viral. Her post is titled, The One Thing Guaranteed to End All Marriages, and I know just by that title that you guys are excited to hear what she has to say. That post was filled with so much truth and her heart behind it is so inspiring and encouraging. I'll link the post for you in our show notes to go over, print out, post it on your mirror, or just read it every single day as a sweet and necessary reminder because it really is that good. So let's dive in as Meg shares all about the one thing and how you can fight against it in your own marriage or for my single ladies, your future marriage, because being proactive is the best way to be. Hi, Meg. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Meg and I have known one another for probably, has it been like eight years now? Nine years? Probably something like that. I remember you watching my kids when they were so tiny. I know. I used to babysit for her and we went to the same church, but now she has moved to California and then she just recently moved to Texas. What part of Texas are you in? Southern Texas. So we're kind of between two cities. We're out really in the country. It's called Hill Country down here. So it's between San Antonio and Austin. So cool. So she went from like California beach life to farm life. Right. How how has it been for you? Um, It's been an adjustment. I think I was more kicking and screaming. I didn't want to, I didn't want to come. So the Lord had to do a huge work in my heart. But I remember Matt getting this job description and we'd been church planters out in California and it just hadn't been going well. And especially now a day's living there, it's just one of the most expensive places United States that you can live. And then as our family continued to grow and then it just was too much. So I saw this new job description and thought, gosh, that looks perfect. Like planting really is not what we want to do anymore, but this is a role he could really thrive in. And I remember reading through the points thinking, this is awesome. And then the next thought was, but I have to go with you. Like, I don't want to go with you. (laughs) I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. I think, I think that the kids and I, we loved California. It just was a place that we were thriving. And so then moving here, it's just been this thought of, oh, are we going to love it as much? And it is polar opposite ways of living, but it's slower and it's it's just sweeter in a lot of different ways. And so I'll, I'll always miss California, but there's just some some neat things happening at the church here and relationally with dif- different relationships. And then, and then the kids, I just feel like they 
they're doing really well. So I have to celebrate that. that. Yeah. Good for you guys. And I just saw actually like 10 minutes before this podcast that you just started a new business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? (laughs) Oh, you can't, I feel bad even calling it that my kids, they came up with this idea that they wanted to open up a little store. And so they were talking about what can we do? What have we learned? What can we sell? And so the past few years, right around this time, probably three or four years, we've We've had the kids work with their hands, whether it be painting, um, they've hammered letters into jewelry, they've made little boxes like wooden boxes where they can use um, a hammer and nails and, um, and, and they've done really well. And the point of it is around this holiday season, I feel like the temptation is just to have them. I remember doing that. Did you do this? I remember going through catalogs of books when I was little. I want this. I want this. I want this, like building (laughs) my Christmas list. And I could see my kids doing that. We get the little magazines and whatever. And so they're always looking for what they want. And so a few years ago, they were little, but we put together this plan of like, I want them to know what it means to get to give, but not us just hand over money. Like here, you take $15 or $20 and you go buy. I just feel like that robs the joy from them to learn how to truly give on their own. And so we put them to work and it's cool because they learn new skill sets and then we get to kind of teach them the value of the dollar and, and that it just doesn't grow on trees. It doesn't come out of nowhere. So this new shop, I finally put it on my blog. Normally we just sell to friends and family and people at our church or just neighbors or whatever. But I have the blog. So I thought, well, why not just put it there just to see? And I just kind of wanted to take an opportunity to brag about them. I feel like they have worked so, so hard trying to put these little blankets and palms and it's just cute what they've come up with and the colors that they picked and, and they would just come home from school and sit and work so hard. And part of it is to earn money for themselves. I don't want to hand them money, like I said, to give them gifts for one another. So they each draw a name and they pick one sibling to buy for. which that's great. I think that that's fun. They get to pick out and surprise the other person, but they also, they're responsible to buy their gifts for their teachers and for Kate, her ballet instructors and for Kai, his soccer coaches and whoever it is they want to buy for. So they're, they're earning money for that. And then the third thing is, you know, sadly where we lived in Orange County, we didn't see many homeless that were on the side of the road here though. There's quite a bit. And so the kids have taken note of that. And every time we pass someone that's asking for money or asking for support, they, have asked mom, can we give them something? Can we give them something? And again, I think, well, that's great that you want to give, but what are you willing to sacrifice in order to give? And so that's what they're raising money for this time. They've put together all these little Christmas products and they want to, they want to get to give. So we'll put together bags for people that we see that are in need this holiday season. So that's what they're doing. That is so cool. And your, I mean, Meg's kids, you guys, they're not old. You know, they're not teenagers. How old is your oldest now, Meg? How old is Kate? So Kate is 12. Kai is 10. We had them all in six years time. So the first five are really packed in there. So it's 12, 10, nine, seven, five. Oh, that's so fun. I'm so excited for you. Well, and I love that idea of the gifts really, especially now for me, I've just really been digging into like kind of just minimizing my life a little bit, not the minimalism, perspective per se, but just really wanting to dive into what it means to just have less and to teach my kids to be grateful for what they have, you know? And so I just feel like that is, I mean, it's just a really cool way. And for them to be so young and to dive into something like that is really good. And 
for our listeners, you guys, if you want to read more about parenthood and I mean, pretty much everything, Meg's a lifestyle blogger, but marriage and parenthood, she talks so much about and just brings so much value to what it means to be a parent. But while giving practical tips, just really shows how to love them in a way that helps them to, to be godly and loving and kind and hardworking. Definitely check out her blog. So Meg, we talked a little bit in the intro about your posts that went crazy. Tell us a little bit about your posts, the one thing guaranteed to end all marriages. I know that you received quite a few opportunities from the virality of it. So tell us a little bit about what those opportunities were and what they meant to you. Oh gosh. You know, when I first married Matt, I married right into being a pastor's wife. And one of the first things I told him was, you are gifted to be on a stage. You are gifted to speak, but that's not me. We're gifted in different ways. I want to serve behind the scenes. I want to be, you know, the one you know that's in small groups. I want to be the one lifting him up to do what God called him to do. But that post, I never would have thought that it would have resonated with that many people. I, I still am kind of shocked by it. But what it led to was an invitation to speak and, and to begin kind of this new journey. And it's one that I have just been kicking and screaming and fighting against. That blog post has really, I mean, it it has been these great opportunities, but I feel like even more than that, it's been a process. I think blogging, writing, putting content out for others to read, it's been a process of undoing in my heart where the, the Lord has really had to to just work in me of why are you so stubborn? What are you afraid of? Like, what is it about my own identity or my own self that I'm so eager to preserve in being afraid to, to speak? And, and ultimately I think the biggest fear in these opportunities has been, I don't want people to know my name. I don't want to be, Oh, well, that's the girl that wrote this or that. And I, but it's what I want more than anything is I want Jesus to be remembered So in speaking, my biggest fear was I don't want people to say I did good or I did bad. I wanted people to walk away saying, I want to know Jesus. I did get an invitation to start speaking. I accepted the invitation, kicking and screaming, but I did it. And leading up to it, I had just found out we were pregnant with our sixth baby. So I was sick as could be, throwing up the morning before speaking, I was, I had a trash can on the stage because I thought I was going to throw up, but I would be (laughs) lying if I said it. I know I'd be lying if I told you it was just the pregnancy. It wasn't, I was so nervous to be up there, but I remember this point about halfway through where people would say, just watch, there'll be people in the crowd. And there was probably about 300 there that day. There'll be, which is a big number to me. I'd never spoken in front of anybody Mm -hmm. before. Anyway, they said, find those people, find those faces in the crowd and speak to those couple people. This was a heavy topic. And I remember this moment thinking, I don't see any faces. Nobody's connecting with me. No, nobody's even looking at me. They were all looking down. But I remember it was clear as day that there was this overwhelming feeling of the Lord saying, you speak because I've told you to speak. You don't worry about who's listening or not. I'll do that work. And that's what, that's what this entire journey has been. He'll do the work. I just need to be faithful to say yes. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I love that. And I will say you would never know that 
that was your I first time up. speaking and that you were going to throw up and we're pregnant. But at the same time, I mean, I just, I feel like the gospel was shared. I do feel like you did exactly what God had called you to do in that because I've listened to that teaching, I think three times already and something new resonates with me every single time. That's encouraging. Thank you for saying that. Of course. So as we get into this, you went through something that was pretty devastating in your own life that led you to write this post. And I, as I read through it, you know, just the circumstances that occurred at the exact, pretty much the exact same time for you. I can't imagine how torn you must have felt. So do you want to share just a little bit about what happened? Yeah, this post originated um, on a day that was just like every other day. And I woke up just like normal, heard my kids, time to get out of bed. And I looked at my phone like I do. And I, you know, just wanted to turn it on and get the updates. And I saw this text and it was a short text. It was from my sister and the words read the divorce is done. And she was referring to my parents and, you know, it, in this whole process too, I just want to say, I've got so much compassion for kids that have grown up in homes of divorced parents, because even as an adult reading that I've got my own family, I've got my own kids. We've been married for years and years and And it still just broke my heart. I mean, instantly I just started crying, but it was this weird feeling of wanting to cry, but then also wanting to punch something like, like, what can I hit is kind of what I was thinking. Um, so that day I, the kids needed me downstairs and I knew I, I just have only a brief moment to kind of process this before my day needs to move on. Five kids at the time, it's, it's not like you can stop and really process things. So I remember opening up my computer and just jotting down just thoughts that were spilling and pouring out of my heart. And that's where this blog post came. And I think it had been brewing for a long time. I think these are thoughts and just um, feelings and just just words that I had been sitting on for a while. So when I sat down to write it, the post was actually written in less than an hour. But I, when I finished, I closed it. And then I grabbed my kids, fed them breakfast, and then got dressed. And we went to the gym. I never even looked at it again. And then hours later, realizing like what had come of it, I think this message resonated with a lot of people. Divorce is brutal. Adultery is brutal. And to find out just the the lies that had been told up until that point and the deceit and the hardness of heart. I mean, it's just brutal. Before that, see, I'd known about the possibility of the divorce happening for a really long time, but it was something I think I kept hoping, maybe not, maybe not, maybe they'll work this out. But at the same time, one of my closest friends had also confessed the same thing that she had committed adultery against her husband. And so, yeah, just again, just the amount of deceit that it takes to cover up our sin, the lengths that we all go to in order to hide what we know is wrong. It's devastating. And so, no, I mean, I could, by God's grace, could handle it. Like it didn't crush me, but it is crushing. And how did you because I know you knew about the adultery with your parents, but as you discovered it with one of your close friends, what, what was your initial response and how did you walk through that with her? With her, it was different. She, she had called me up one night and she knew I was busy that night. I was, I was at one of my uh, daughter's ballet recitals. And so I was actually backstage, you know, trying to run the show. And I got this text, you need to come over as soon as you're done. And it was late, really late. 
But in her, their stories are polar opposite. The, the setting of what happened, the actions that were committed, the sin that was engaged in, those stories are very, very identical. But the sharing of the story and everything after that, you follow those two stories and they're polar opposite. So for her, it was different. She came straight to me in tears and just absolutely broken and told me what had happened. And she right away said, I am so sorry for all the times that I've lied to you. There were some times along the way, I remember thinking something's off. And I asked her point blank because a good friend would like, is this happening? And she lied. But for her, she, she had no desire at that point to preserve herself. She simply wanted to begin the steps of making things right. And she did that with her husband. She did that with me. She's, she's done that with anybody that was impacted by her sin. And the stories now, it's absolutely polar opposite outcomes to see the, how the two have, one couple stayed together and is absolutely thriving. And, and even just this week has said, we've never been better. Oh, and the crazy. other couple are, you know, my parents, they're not, they're not speaking. My, my dad is now remarried to the woman. So it's just completely different outcomes. You know, in insane trials that happen around us, that God brings beauty out of ashes. And with that, even though it's heartbreaking for you that you were able to utilize that and turn it into something that could encourage hundreds of thousands of people, which is incredible just by sharing God's word and the gospel. So as everybody is listening, I'm sure they are dying to know what is the one thing in your opinion that is guaranteed to end all marriages and why? The definition that I give is it's hardness of heart. And so you can, you know, you can probably listen to the entire talk where I've got far more time to kind of expound on all of this. But if you were to read Google or just ask people statistics of why marriages end, usually it's something like financial issues or you know, marital conflict or, you know, whatever it is, but that's not the issue. Those are symptoms. And you see that as I describe those two couples, you know, my friend, how, how could they have done well through such heartbreak and yet another couple doesn't, and it's completely shattered. It's the same story. It's the same scenario. It's the same problem, if you will, but it is the issue of hardness of heart. And what I mean by that, what I mean by hardness of heart, because there, there's probably a thousand different ways you could define it. So this is just my definition of what I've kind of come up with, but it's, it's the idea of remaining in a disposition of distant coldness towards your husband and ignoring any promptings to soften and draw near to him. When you're dealing with the idea of adultery, I saw one, again, one couple choose to just harden their hearts. Um, and then I saw another, like my friend's husband just broke and right off the bat, like it, he was shaking from the news of his wife's adultery, but in even just his anger and hurt and, and pain, I heard him right in front of me say, I will choose to walk by your side through this. I already forgive you. Now that took, oh my gosh, an insane amount of work for him because to say that and then actually live it are two different things. But I mean, there, there were some brutal moments to watch what that forgiveness process looked like for him. So I watched him just completely fight for forgiveness toward her. And he's continued to walk through that again and again and again, because 
to say you forgive is one thing, but to, to do it, to actually live it is a completely different thing. And it's not because it was any less painful for him to, to be faced with adultery in his wife, but it, it was absolutely painful, but he had set in his heart, I'm going to love the Lord first and I'm going to forgive. That's such a powerful response, especially just after hearing the news to respond like that. And I had a situation um, similarly with somebody in my life where their initial immediate response was, I'm going to forgive you and we're going to push past this. And I, I just think that is the Holy Spirit fully taking over, you know, that strength that we just don't have on our own. So, but it's amazing that they have worked through and pushed through. And so in your teaching, you mentioned that it's most likely that divorces happen um, between year four and year 10. And Jesse and I are in year seven, almost in February. So what is some practical advice, some biblical advice that you can give for people in this season of life, or even just in a really difficult season of life where they are struggling with hardness of heart toward their spouse? Oh gosh, that's a loaded question, isn't it? I feel like I could talk for about four days on that. So I feel like, because we are, we're in year 17. So we've come through that window. Um, But there were a few years in there that I think if you were to have asked me, are you guys okay? I would have said, sure. But deep down, I, I knew that we weren't. And, and I think in those years, when you're talking about those years, year four through year 10, you're in a season where the kids are like, you've most likely started a family. You're most likely, you know, trying to make ends meet financially. You're most likely really, you know, kind of solidifying that process of leaving and cleaving where it's not, you're not a part of your family's anymore. Like you're building your own family. There's a lot that's happening in those years that I think contribute to that. But I also think that's, those are, those are the years where the honeymoon season has just worn off. Like you start to really see the imperfections of the other person, whatever ability either of you had to be able to kind of win the other over, you're kind of beyond that at that point, And you're kind of in the grind of life. And I think one thing, if I were to look back at those years that and this might, this isn't practical wisdom. Maybe it's just a mindset, but I feel like one of the things that we needed to, to be intentional to learn is to trust the other person's heart because there's times when I've said things that have come out of my own mouth or that Matt has said things that have come out of his mouth that I think, Oh my gosh, that is so unkind, like so unloving. And I'll respond out of that. Like how, you know, why I'll, I'll, I'll respond out of what just was said, or I'll presume upon what I think it meant. And yet now at year 17, we've had enough time together that I'm able to say to him, look, that sounded really mean, but I know that you love me. So do you want to try again? (laughs) And And he does. And I do too. There's times when he'll say, Meg, I know you just need a granola bar. <laughs> You're hangry. It's funny. I'm hungry and I'm tired and I just need a nap. But I think for us, we've learned, and, and I feel comfortable sharing this because he shares it so much. I'm really careful often to not share his brokenness. My, I'd rather share my own. But this is something that I think might help. I think for men, when they get stressed, when they get tired, when, when the world, the weight of the world really begins to weigh on them, it comes out often in anger. And I'll see him sometimes angry, yet now I know 
it's not me, even if it's directed toward me. It's not me. I trust his heart is for me. I trust his heart is for the Lord. He's been consistent enough that now I know for sure there's something else going on. So how can I befriend him in that? And then for him, mine doesn't come out in anger. Mine comes out in crying. I just get, when I get overwhelmed and I get tired, I just cry. Like I can't handle it. And he'll say, Meg, I think you're being unkind. Like you're being unkind, but do you just need to take a nap? Like, can I just let you go to bed early? And it's this idea of like, we're looking out for each other that I don't think was fully there in year four through 10. So if I could encourage you on this side of things, just to have that type of mentality, there is a turning point where you can begin to see your spouse in this way. And I really think you can choose to jumpstart it. It took us longer, but I feel like you could begin that now. And I can almost hear the thoughts of some of the listeners based on the messages I've received through Sparrows and Lily. How would you speak to someone who is thinking, that's great for you, Meg, that your husband is so kind and is like willing to let you go take a nap. What do you do when you have a husband who is disconnected or really just doesn't seem to be pouring anything into me or into my family. Yeah. And, and I would want to speak to that because there, there are probably four years of that. And we don't talk much about it, um, especially in a huge public setting, but I do believe that this next season of life, we will be sharing more of that. But I know that feeling because I've lived it. And in a lot of ways, you turn into a single parent and with a lot of kids or even even one child. Like I feel like when you feel alone and you feel like nobody's looking out for you, you're by yourself. And even more than that, if you have a husband who is stressed out, who is expressing his stress in anger, it can be a wrecking ball in your home. But I learned a lot from that season. One of them is that wasn't the man that I married in the beginning. Matt, from the very beginning, had been very kind and gentle. I remember noticing him because of his kindness. But I lost that man for a number of years, and now he's back. <laughs> but I, was, I wasn't guaranteed that. And there were moments in those years where I thought, this is my new reality. What do I do with it? This isn't the man that I married. This isn't what I signed up for. Like I, I remember vividly thinking all of the thoughts that your listeners and readers probably will have right now of like, do I, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. Like, shouldn't I have reason to get out? But so, so many lessons can be learned in that time. One of them for me, very practically speaking, was I learned who I was apart from him in relation to the, to God, the father. And what I mean by that is when I first married Matt, I had been kind of more of a rebel child. Like I was more the black sheep. I kind of just went and did my own thing. When I married Matt, he was a pastor and I sort of got this new identity. I had just met Jesus right before I met him. And in a lot of ways, he sort of cleaned up my image. And I looked at that though, not intentionally, but unintentionally as he's sort of a mediator. Like, Matt, what do you think about this? Am I hearing the spirit right on this? Like, what does this say in the Bible? Like, what can I... What am I supposed to learn through this? And in those years of not having that type of support, I learned he's not my mediator. I know who I am in Jesus because of his, Jesus's love for me, not because I married this guy. And that was a sweet lesson to learn. I know God, the father loves me for me, not because I picked a good spouse or a bad spouse. So those that was huge. Um, another thing was I remember 
crying. I, I had called a woman that I completely trusted and I still do. She loves the Lord. And I knew if I called this woman, she's not just going to tell me what I want to hear, which is sure, get out. Sure. There's reasons to leave. Sure. There's whatever this, whatever that, like I knew she wouldn't pick my side though. I felt my side was valid. I knew if I call her, she's going to give me the godly response. So I called her and I said, this is a fight. This is what we're going through. And there was silence. I got through this whole spiel and on the other end, there was silence. And there was this still small voice in her. And she said, Meg, are you praying for him? I was like, no, I, mean, I don't, I don't <laughs> no. no, I'm mad. Did you not hear what he, what he's done? What he said? Like, did you not? And, and she just repeated it. Meg, are you praying for him? And I thought, no, like I want him to do what I want. When you look at life, let me peel back for just a second. If you look at life, from the grand scheme, the biggest perspective that you possibly can as believers, our end goal is that we would be conformed more and more and more into the image of Christ. And it's very rare. I do think it's possible, but it's so rare for a life to go smooth sailing. Everything's perfect. Everything's peachy keen, this pampered lifestyle and say, gosh, I learned so much. How do we learn? How, how are we conformed more and more into the image of Christ? It's through suffering. And it's through trial and it's through hardship and it's through things not working out where it's this, it's this process of undoing, just like you said, Lynn, like where you said, I'm trying to learn what's necessary. I'm trying to learn to minimize. I'm trying to learn to see what is it that just doesn't matter and trials and struggles and hardship in marriage that does that for our souls. Mm, that's so good. And I, I like how you said when you are struggling with Matt, that, you just wanted him to do what you wanted him to do. And I think it's so common for us, at least for me, to want to point my husband back to myself, to tell him, like, you're not, I, I mean, in my sinful state, like, you're not doing what I'm asking you to do, or you're not loving me in the way I want to be loved, or you're not parenting in the way that I want you to parent. And when God convicts me of that and shifts my perspective, he reminds me that it's not my job in my marriage to point my husband back to me because then that just becomes a self-centered marriage where we're both just focused on ourselves and trying to feed ourselves with their love or whatever it might be. But instead that we are both intended to point one another to Jesus. And so when I am in sin, I don't want Jesse saying, how could you treat me like that? Or vice versa. I want him to say, Hey, like what's going on with you and the Lord right now? Like, are you praying? Are you in the word? Um, how can I help you to seek Jesus more? How can I just enable you in that way? And just knowing that the root cause, like you had said in your blog post, Meg, that the root cause is the heart. It's not the circumstances. And you said in the teaching that so many causes of divorce are finances or adultery is another one, or even you said weight gain because the shallowness right. of a society. Right. Um, but in that, that none of these circumstances validate divorce. They don't validate adultery. They don't validate even for us to just be self-centered and consumed with our own needs. But the hardness of heart has potential to completely just damage and rip apart a marriage because there's so much involved in hardness of heart. It's pride, it's selfishness, it's just a demanding spirit. And so Meg, what do you say with all of that for women who are single and are preparing for marriage and women who are in marriage and in the midst of adultery even, 
what is the cure for the brokenness in their relationship and how can they prepare themselves for a healthier marriage? For, for those who are single, who want so badly to be married, um, I would want to encourage those of you out there listening, don't put your hope in something that was never meant to fill you. And I think for those of you struggling in marriage, again, it's the same lesson that those who are single need to hear. Don't put your hope in something that was never meant to fill you. I wrongly thought when I first married Matt, oh, this guy, you know, he's going to, he loves me and I love him and everything's going to be perfect and everything's going to be wonderful, but he's never meant to be my joy. In fact, marriage is meant to sharpen us, to point us to Jesus. And so it's this ever present daily reminder that no person, no matter how close they are to you, is ever meant to fill your heart. So for singles, for married, anybody that's struggling um, with a difficult marriage right now, I would would say this, that the main point in in all of this, in recognizing hardness of heart, is that we we would direct our affections toward Jesus. He is the only one who can fill us like we desire to be filled. And when we are filled, by his love for us, we're able to love others fully. I mean, wholly. And, and so you don't come to your spouse looking for what you can get. Like you said, you, there's a, there's a different aim as far as not pointing your spouse back to yourself, but pointing them, gosh, you know, I'm concerned for your heart in this moment. Okay. You're treating me badly, but I don't have to take that personal because it's not against me. It's against the Lord and, and to care for them. Like the Bible says, it's not good for man to be alone. Well, it's not good for women to be alone either. So to develop a marriage like that, where we can constantly be pointing one another back to Jesus is, is critical. And, and the solution, I mean, if you were to sum it up, I, this, this talk that I gave, and even this post that I'd written was in a year where I think the Lord was teaching me over and over and over again, what it means to abide, abide in him. It means, it means to dwell in, to, to remain in, to basically graft yourself in with Jesus. And what does that mean? And it means you find your hope, your peace, your rest, your comfort, your identity, all of it is found in Jesus, which I mean, even when you're talking about those that have hurt me, even with the lies and the deceit, like we talked about earlier in the show, I feel like there is no hardness of heart even toward those couples because I'm, I am so loved. How could I not love them also? So I would encourage you to trust in Jesus and abide in him because there is no love. There is no softening of the heart apart from, from him. We are so thankful to have you on. And I know that this is going to bless a lot of people and marriage is always such a popular topic. But I think even for people who are not in this season of life and who are single or single mothers, this is relevant to you just the same because all it is, is the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for us and rose again and has saved us from our sins. If we choose to repent and seek him, we just encourage you that this is what your heart needs. The hardness of your heart stems from pride and selfishness and brokenness. And that doesn't end when we know the Lord, but it does heal and it does redirect our thoughts and our hearts. And the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to move forward from things and to be completely new. And so we just encourage you all today that if you need to pray for your husband, start praying for him. If you need to just get in the word every single day, just to be filled and restored and refreshed and to know him deeper, most importantly, then just 
make that an intentional step. So Meg, do you have anything else that you'd like to share with us today? You know, this is kind of a thought that's been brewing in my mind recently about this topic because people, when they read this post, they think, okay, the focus is to not be hard toward my husband. And I think if I were to leave you with anything, it would be hardness of heart in marriage results from hardness of heart toward the Lord. So for those of us that are in difficult seasons of marriage, for those of us who are wanting to be married and aren't yet, for those of us who are who have a great marriage, but parenting is hard, like you can apply this to every area of life. When we shake our fists at God and we say, why is it this way? What is, I want it to be different. I, I, I don't deserve this. I don't want this. Ultimately, we show that hardness of heart toward our spouses, toward our children, because we, we're not trusting the Lord. So exactly like you said, like we need to remember where this all started, that God gave His very life for our sakes. For us to reject the life that He's given us, or we think we deserve better, like it's, it's a fool's errand. Like there is only fullness of joy in His presence. Well, thank you, Meg. Thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your heart. I'm so thankful to walk alongside you on the blogging journey and to have you as a friend and just for the wisdom that you have poured into my life as, you know, for even from before when I was married. So it's, it's just a blessing. And I know that everyone is going to be so incredibly grateful to hear your perspective and to hear God's word come through you. So I wanted to let our listeners know where they can find you because I know that if they like our stuff, they're going to love your stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so my, and thank you for those sweet words. That's really kind. My blog is just my full name, megmariewallace.com. And Wallace is spelled W-A-L-L-A-C. And my Instagram is the same. It's Meg Marie Wallace. And those are the main two. And I'll put um, her links in the show notes, you guys. I'll also link this blog post and her teaching in Arizona. Thanks, Thanks so much again, Meg. I can't wait to hear what the listeners have to say and what they share about this episode. If you guys are listening today, please make sure to screenshot this episode. Head over to Instagram, tag me at the Milk and Honey Podcast and Meg at, at Meg Marie Wallace in your screenshot and let us know what your biggest takeaway was from this podcast. It makes us so happy to see those posts. And we also love to share what you have to say on our own Instagram stories as well. So definitely tag us both and let us know. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Milk and Honey podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate us and review us on iTunes. It would mean so much. Your review helps the show to be found by other women like you. For a daily pick-me-up, follow me, Lindsay, on Instagram at Sparrows and Lily and Amorous at Amorous Beecher. Tune in next week for more fun and encouragement. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.